G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. We're going to turn our attention to the challenges that we all face in Australia in relationships between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians. A unique perspective today with a special guest who works as a nurse practitioner in mental health with regional Aboriginal communities in Western Australia. Now, what is unique about our special guest today is her own origin as an African nurse who trained with the University of Nairobi. Esther Maghetto is a nurse practitioner in mental health working with Aboriginal communities in regional Western Australia, and Esther is joining us. Esther, a special welcome along to you. Thank you, Neil. For Esther, me. it's a privilege. Whereabouts are you in Western Australia today? I'm in Perth right now. Okay, and the communities that you normally work in, uh, whereabouts do you normally work with Aboriginal communities? Now, I, for the past three years, up to March this year, I was working in the wheat belt area of country Western Australia, uh, working as a mental health nurse practitioner, working with the um, people in the community and helping them with their journey of recovery. Okay, let's talk about how you came to be working with Aboriginal Australians because some people might be thinking this is unusual that someone would come from Africa uh, to work with our Aboriginal communities. Give us a little insight into your story. Okay. I came to Australia 16 years ago. Um, we relocated when my husband got a job here in Australia. He was in uh, working in the UK and he got a job here. The first uh, placement he had or employ deployment he was in Carnarvon and so that was in 2007 uh, we, we stayed in Carnarvon for three years I was not a nurse at that point um, that's the first encounter I had with Aboriginal people uh, they really embraced us because we are not many Africans we are just a couple of Africans in, in, in Carnarvon and we developed a very good relationship with the Aboriginal people in, in country Australia, in Carnarvon. I soon became a, an, an enrolled nurse, moved to Perth, started working in Greyland Hospital as a nurse. There are obviously very many, um, the cohort of Aboriginal patients are, are more in Greylands. And that's where I started interacting with Aboriginal patients. Over through my journey, I've had a lot of uh, dealing with Aboriginal people. But back in 2019, as a clinical nurse specialist, I got a position to work with Whitbelt, um, Country WA um, Health Services, 
working with with belt mental health service now in this area 60% of the clients i was working with who are aboriginal people i was able to work predominantly with the nunga people and that's when i got to understand really what is happening among the aboriginal people because i was struggling to understand why their health outcomes are poor why they seem to lag behind uh, the rest of australia despite the fact that australia is a fast country the poverty levels the alcohol drug use levels are a disproportional compared to the rest of the country so this got me uh thinking and i started studying more about um aboriginal people and their mental health so i went back for my postgraduate study i did mental health uh, specialized in mental health and uh, with a passion to prov- uh, to understand aboriginal mental health it's a wonderful background that you're bringing into the mix here and i wonder whether uh, let's we'll talk about mental health and we'll talk about challenges in aboriginal communities as we go but uh, the fact that you're african you're a kenyan and uh, when you've been and i think you said uh, you were embraced by aboriginal communities is that embrace coming because you're african because you have the same skin color uh, how does that embrace work uh, with aboriginal communities I exactly cannot um, understand uh, exactly say why, but I feel that there is a big disconnect um, between the non-Aboriginal people here, um, meaning the white people in Australia with the um, with the Aboriginal people because of the past trauma. Um, what I have seen through the years of interacting with them there is still that disparity, that sense of uh, distrust between the Aboriginal people themselves and the non-Aboriginal people. But I don't experience that myself. I have seen when I'm in the same room providing care with to an Aboriginal person, with a non-Aboriginal or Caucasian person, they relate quite differently. When they're talking to me, they're able to look at me, they're able to interact with me. But when they are interacting with someone or who is an, an Aboriginal Australian, they tend to look down when they are talking or they are, you, you can see the body language that they are not comfortable with the, in the conversation. And this got me into trying to understand why is this so. Well, interesting, isn't it, as you say, skin colour actually is important uh, when you're talking about issues of trust. And, of course, uh, we might not like to think that, but you're stating something which perhaps I'm uh, just, uh, you know, uh, trying to draw out of you is what we might always uh, appreciate as something that's obvious, uh, that sometimes uh, skin colour does make a difference and trust is very good when you are coming from your background and then working in Aboriginal communities. Now, you've been working in mental health and you've discovered that there are some trends uh, around trauma and you even take that deeper and say there's intergenerational trauma that's been happening in Aboriginal communities where you've been working. I wonder how you can describe that for us. 
Okay. Um, I will start by stating what intergenerational trauma is. This is trauma that is passed from a first generation of survivors who directly experienced the traumatic events to the future generations. This can be passed through parenting practices, behavioral problems, violence, harmful use of substances, and mental health issues. Now, when we look at the trauma that Aboriginal people have experienced, we, let's look at the colonization and dispossession. The homelessness the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people right now experience is directly linked to dispossession. The collective experience of the Aboriginal people has been that of ex- exclusion from their lands. They are they, they traditionally owned and occupied. And as a consequence of this exclusion, the Aboriginal people have lost the control over their own location, the design and the function of their living spaces. Today, the indigenous people continue to experience acute disadvantage in, in housing and in infrastructure. And as we know, this plays a big role in someone's mental health. Number two, the forced removal of children. Now, few Aboriginal and Torres Islander people are untouched by the effects of forced removal. These policies of affect thousands of families uh, and not just the children that were removed, but their descendants and the communities. The removal of Aboriginal people uh, um, led the loss of identity of the children taken, many whom their names and age was changed, many lost their ties to family and were alienated from their culture and language. This disproportional, uh, the disproportional levels of alcohol and substance abuse and high levels of mental health that we see among the Aboriginal and Torres Islander people, uh, Strait Islander communities, is directly linked to these uh, remove policies of removal. It, uh, the policies have a profound effect on the child, the parenting of the children, because of the disconnection. Today, we still have uh, operate uh, the indirect laws of practices that. Uh, of removing children from their family, indigenous children from their family. Because of the continual uh, trauma that has caused them to be made, self-medicate through alcohol, through, through um, substance abuse, most of them are incapacitated when it comes to parenting their own children. Due to that, the children, as many of the children of... Um, Aboriginal families are taken away by CPFS, that's family services, and they ended up they end up in state care or being taken care by foster care. And in these situations, they are actually um, abused, and they also are further alienated from their own families. In New South Wales alone, one in four Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island children are removed from their families, either by a CPFS or through the justice system, through juvenile justice system. Well, in, those, in those are challenging. Right now, yep. yep, you keep going. Yeah, in Australia right now, children, uh, Aboriginal children are we have about 49%, according to the Institute of um, uh, 
Institute of Health and Welfare, it states that right now 49% of young people in juvenile detention centers are Aboriginal. 49%. I think it's number, very sobering. According to the census, the census that we did last year, Aboriginal children make up or youth make up 5.8% of all the youth we have in Australia. And yet they, they amount to 47, 49% of those that are in detention centres. This is a continuation of a generational trauma, which later is seen in what we are seeing in the society, because these people are continually being alienated from their own people. And there are no easy answers to all of this, and there's an ongoing debate, obviously, that happens uh, on different sides of politics over how these things happen. There are developments that have been going on in Aboriginal communities, including relaxation of bans on uh, alcohol of recent times. Uh, Then there are uh, issues around the Closing the Gap initiatives. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Our special guest today is Esther Maghetto. Esther is a nurse practitioner in mental health. She works with Aboriginal communities in regional Western Australia. She is our special guest and she's sharing her perceptions of what she sees as major issues, even generational trauma that is passed on from one generation to the other. You might like to ask a question, make a comment. You might have your say today on one 316 Let's take a call or two, Esther. Let's first of all hear from Kumanara, who's in the Northern Territory. Kumanara, welcome along. Hello. Kumanara, what are your thoughts? I think there's more to be looked at than just statistics. Of course there are, and that's where Esther is working and a 16-year career working in mental health with the Aboriginal community. I think we're hearing something deeper that actually reflects the traumatised nature of a people. Uh, any, what, what are you, what's your situation, Kumanara? Being First Nations, um, people follow the lead of what the children want and the children don't know what they want. And trauma um, training shows that. And, you know, children keep getting older, telling people what to do and become violent because that's what they've seen. So when you have family, tribal, culture, what you're saying is the tail's wagging the dog. Uh, The children are actually telling the parents what they want, and that might even be influenced perhaps even by activists in that space. Let's get a thought or two from our special guest. Esther, your thoughts for Kumanara? What I can say is that we need to first, before we address the symptoms of what we are seeing, for example, children are telling their parents what they want. Let us unpack that. What is that? Why are the parents not able to actually guide their children? That boils down to the, the trauma that they have experienced. When someone has grown up in care, ends up in juvenile prison, 
ends up using drugs and alcohol to medicate from their trauma. They have experienced uh, uh, domestic violence. They haven't been parented themselves. When they became parents, it does. They automatically they do not have a framework from which to work from, so they do not know how to parent. So they do what they saw. We are what we are today because of the way we were brought up as our own parent. If your parent was um, a strict parent, showed you the right thing to do from the wrong thing, made sure you went to school, made sure you had all that you needed to 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 perform and to fulfill uh, your potential, obviously you are going to achieve your potential because the ground has been laid down for you to achieve that. And you are going to do the same to your own children. Now, reversely, that's what happened. If these parents do not know, they were not parented themselves, they were not given a good example, they haven't been shown how to, you know, to guide their own children because they were not guided. They will do the little that they know. But it all comes from the trauma that they have been through. People who have been through trauma, they have problems with connections, forming connections with family members. They have problems uh, interacting with close family problems. They have problems uh, self-managing anger. So they, you find that the domestic violence is very high because they become hypervigilant. They are there's always a sense of hopeless and helplessness, and therefore they lash out. And these are things that these children are saying. That's why you find that little children, they, they are watching what their parents are doing. They react because the parents are also reacting towards them. So before we address or talk about the symptoms, we need to unpack and see what is causing all this. There is a lot of issues that have been unresolved over the years that are causing them to be where they are. And unless we unpack and actually address the, sim the, the, the root problem, which is trauma, we will continue addressing the symptoms and not move forward. Because I know the government has done so much in terms of trying to move the, the, the um improve the lives of Aboriginal people, especially through closing the gap and many other initiatives. But these initiatives are addressing the symptoms. They are not addressing the real issues, which are the root problems, which all stem from the trauma that they have experienced for the last hundred or so years. Let's come back to Kumanara here. Kumanara are you hearing what Esther is saying? Is there an issue with uh, if you're going to change generations, you've got to start with parenting and you've got to deal with the trauma of the past? Kumanara, is that something that you might be seeing in your community? I'm not disputing that there needs to deal with trauma, but when you've got generations that haven't actually been taken into welfare and they're got the trauma as well and they've been parented firmly and loved and cared for and fed and taken to school and educated and they can't get their children and their children's and their children's too and now the whole lot are now becoming hopeless 
And it still comes down to handout. And handout doesn't work for anybody. You raise a very important point here, and I wonder whether we can get Esther and her thoughts here around the sort of hopelessness. Uh, I think as Christian believers, uh, we've got something of an advantage here in when we can talk about, articulate, and even uh, bring hope into a community because we have, uh, you know, we have a transcendent God who sent his son. There is hope in Christ. But uh, let me just ask you, um, Esther, uh, hopelessness in communities, even those communities that are uh, subject to uh, all of the welfare handouts and those who've not, they're all suffering the same sort of hopelessness. Esther, um, from I, <laughs> I know um, um, you, the guest has said, um, the, I Caller. can't remember the name of the lady uh, that just asked questions. Kumanara. Kumanara. Yeah, that the families have been supported, they have been well cared for, but still they're going all through all these things. One thing I know for sure, we may not know the whole story. But I've, I know that first and foremost, the healing process will start with restoring and reaffirming the First Nations' sense of pride in their own identity, connection to country, and participation in community. The traumatic events that they have experienced um, sh- uh, um, need to be acknowledged and honoured by the wider Australian community. This can help in healing the wounds for the past, uh, for the past uh, wound, uh, trauma that they have gone through. There needs to be a recognition of the role of trauma and the ongoing disadvantage faced by Aboriginal people and celebrate their own resilience. Kumanara. There needs to be a conversation because right now what I'm seeing... I need to break in here because we're about to go to news, uh, Esther. But uh, I want to thank Kumanara for making a wonderful contribution to our conversation today. You might like to join into our conversation. We haven't been into some of the controversy around the voice, the uh, idea of an Indigenous voice to the Parliament. Uh, There's all sorts of debate going on there. And just before we take another call, though, we might just touch on it. In some sense here, uh, Esther, when we talk about the way that Aboriginal communities might address injustices that they'll recognise from the past, you're saying that Aboriginals are trying to move the conversation forward and this sort of debate around the voice creates an opportunity for that to happen. How do you describe what's happening in Australia right now with this possibility of a referendum around this issue? I feel that the convers- for the conversation to go ahead in regards to the progress of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island people, there is need for the rest of Australia to be involved in the conversation. It has to be part and parcel of what we are doing as a, as a community because at the moment it is more... Um, the conversation is being, or the weight of the conversation is carried mostly by Aboriginal people, which is correct, which is okay. But it needs to be, we need to hold hands for us to move because it's affecting all of us. It's not just affecting them. 
It's affecting every Australian. It has to be a conversation that we lock in hands and move forward together so that we can all look for solutions that can help us both move move the conversation forward. Okay, we're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Brian in Wedderburn in Victoria. Hi, Brian. Hello. Brian, what are your thoughts? Um, well, I've just been on a little tour inland into the centre of Australia, and prior to that I didn't have much of a knowledge or understanding of uh, the culture and... Uh, the, the, the seriousness of what's going on in Indigenous communities. And uh, I must admit that uh, you had a conversation yesterday about uh, gender assignment and child abuse and such. And I wanted to actually ring and talk to you yesterday, but it uh, looks like today you're talking specifically about Indigenous issues. And uh, I think the issue is culture. We do not understand the culture and the law that is governing the indigenous communities in this country. Most people do not understand about skin and skin law or initiation right law or many of the other things that are totally foreign to uh, our Western uh, Judeo-Christian society. Brian, you raise a really good point in all of that because there is a culture in so many Aboriginal communities and one community differs to another community. So it's not all just uniform. Let's get an insight here, Esther, around the cultural formation in Aboriginal communities. A response for Brian? Could you repeat that again? Sorry. In our culture, we have white man law. And in the Indigenous culture, they have black man law. And the two just do not meet. Okay, that's um, that's good enough. Uh, so far as uh, that sort of difference in culture there. Uh, your thoughts here, Esther? Uh, there is... the uh, Indigenous culture is a very unique culture and it's actually di- very diverse. The culture... Because... There are over 400 groups of indigenous people in Australia and their culture differs from from one group to the other. But at the same time, the culture is very important to the indigenous people and how they do things. It defines who they are. And as a people, we need to respect that if we are going to engage with them, respect their character, respect because it gives them their identity. And while we've got Brian on the line, it's interesting, isn't it? Because here we are, here I am sitting in the middle of a conversation like this, and I'm talking about Christian culture. The sorts of things you'll hear talked about on 2020 are very much a Christian culture, and there are an extensive uh, growth in Christian culture within Aboriginal communities too. And, And so you've got a mix of what might be indigenous culture and you've got western secular culture and you've got christian culture coming into the middle of it all it's not easy to differentiate but i wonder esther uh, the christian uh, ethic the christian culture christian belief christian understanding of hope and transformation that also colors the way that aboriginal people uh, live and in indeed flourish. Any thoughts here around Christian culture in the mix? When we talk about Christian culture, it all boils down to one thing, 
love. For God so loved the world that he gave. And so when we look through to the world with the, through the eyes of love, the eyes of God, then that melts whatever else, you know, differences that we may have. Because we are seeing people as God sees them. We are seeing people through the eyes of his love. And this can transcend any cultural differences that we may have that may impact our or come affect our relationship. When as Christians, we look at everyone through the, the love of Christ and try to reach them where they're at. We may not agree. We may not see many things eye to eye in the way they do because of their culture. But when you look at someone or you touch someone with love, it doesn't matter whether you don't understand their culture. That love transcends anything. And I believe that that is where, as Christians, we need to, I think, improve on. Um, my biggest, um, my journey in trying to understand the indigenous population, I asked God to help me to break my heart with what breaks his and what breaks God's heart is seeing his own people suffering. And when we get touched by other people's suffering and reach out in that love, we will transcend any cultural difference that we may be experiencing. Brian and Wedderburn, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. Let's continue to take some calls and we'll try and get through those quickly. Miss Spencer is in Northam in Western Australia. Hello, Miss Spencer. Hello, good morning to you. And to you, what are your I, thoughts? I wanted to say thank you so much to Esther. Esther... You, you speak so lovingly and eloquently and you speak so well on behalf of my, my brothers and sisters. Esther, could I ask, were you ever a nurse at Northern Hospital? Esther. I was, I was working at Northern uh, Mental Health Community. Oh, I, I might have met you when I was in hospital. There was a beautiful African nurse called Esther, who was yeah. a Christian. And yes. I, I'm sure that, that I have met you. Oh, I want to yeah. thank you for your beautiful heart and for the way you are speaking so lovingly for... For my brothers and sisters in Christ, and uh, um, can I recommend a book that I've just bought at the Northern Indigenous Cultural Centre? It's by Bruce Pascoe called Young Dark Emu, and I recommend it just like Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> I recommend it as as part of a a reading book for everyone to read about 
about indigenous culture. Um, oh, and if if you if people can read that book and and become more educated about our brothers and sisters in Christ, and can I encourage people to read the Uluru Statement from the Heart? And there's a beautiful invitation asking asking us to join our brothers and sisters in Christ in a healing journey side by side. And what a beautiful invitation that is. Well, Miss Spencer, I'll cut in here, but thank you for your recommendations and, yes, the encouragement to read the Uluru Statement from the Heart. I want to thank you so much for your call today and our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. Before we go to the next call, though, uh, Esther, a quick response for those sorts of recommendations and certainly they're a wonderful acknowledgement of your loving uh, service in communities uh, in uh, Western Australia. A quick thought there for Miss Spencer. I would encourage for for all the non-Indigenous Australians, educate yourself, get to understand Aboriginal people. I encourage every, every listener, please get the book, read, understand them. Sometimes when we don't understand uh what we are dealing people we don't know what you're dealing with we don't know how to even evangelize when you're trying to reach out if you don't know what they're dealing with, you don't know their story you don't know where to start so i encourage you get educated get understand their culture understand why they do things the way they do and that will help you even open lines for you to reach out with the love of god Thank you so much, Miss Spencer. Let's take another call. Anne is in Ballina in New South Wales. Hello, Anne. Welcome along. Hi there. How are you? Very well, Anne. What are your thoughts? <laughs> uh, I really wanted to affirm Kunamara about the handout, that they never help anybody. And the spokesman that may point it to Parliament would be wonderful if he could have some really good structure around that to help people grow like farm works and you know things that, like in Holland they had this whole program done for people with dementia that look like um, a little uh, supermarket and then New Zealand took on that model it's like you've got to go right back to a new model let us show you be innovative and ahead with the Aboriginal people instead of underneath handouts just hurt you you know, because they enable the situation and without forgiveness, no amount, no amount of compassion will work either. And yet Esther is in a unique position as an African to see insights into the structures from an African point of view and, and how they don't get any handouts and how that may work and how we could improve it in Australia. And good thoughts there. Let's uh, get a response. Esther, what are your thoughts for Anne? What Anne is saying is true. Handouts do not help. They are disabling because they make someone dependent. But at the same time, we need to have a structure 
first of yeah. all, you have to empower people to and educate them to have capacity to actually work and do um, but be active in the community. Empowering is very important, and that comes from, as I said, I still go back to it. I will keep drumming this drum. It all goes back to the trauma that they have experienced. When there is acknowledgement, when there is um, conversation about healing, there's conversation in our day-to-day interactions and appreciation that despite all they've been through, they have been resilient and then we work together and ask how can we help them go forward but what we see the conversation is about frustration people are tired seeing the same cycle going on when we try and reach out in love as i said and help them move forward teach them if you can in your own little corner do you know someone a mother that is has a single mother, an Aboriginal single mother that has, is struggling with the children, that the dad is maybe in prison. Can you go out of your way and reach out in love and educate this person, help them, and then they can build uh, their own capacity and get out of the rat sack of handouts. We cannot just say handouts are bad and leave it at that. What are we going to do? to make a difference. Anne in Ballina, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316. You might want to join in our conversation. There may still be some time. We're running short of time. It's interesting, isn't it? Governments are addicted to handouts and governments don't look like they're doing enough for Aboriginal communities unless they are providing significant welfare in budgets to try and meet the needs because there are people who are going without or don't have the same standards of living or don't have the same health outcomes. So governments are addicted to the handouts. I wonder, and there might be all sorts of conversation and debate around that, but Esther, you're touching on something that might be a major contribution and it comes into where the Christian might be involved. I'm thinking even as you're sharing those sorts of things about churches adopting Aboriginal communities and looking for ways to create opportunities because I imagine that there are some practical solutions for how you deal with trauma and it's going to be about recognising past injustice but also creating opportunities and working alongside people so that they can emerge from that. Any thoughts here about how you move forward? Okay, I'm going to use a simple um, scenario here. I just talked at the beginning of the conversation regarding the number of children uh, of First Nation who are going to juvenile prisons. These children, they are in and out of prison, and in the end, they end up in, a, in, in the criminal justice uh, um, system for most of their lives. How about, as Christians, we take uh, up the or responsibility. Once these children are in prison, we go and minister with, to them while in prison and try and help their minds and and teach them the love of God while they are in prison. So when they come out, they are aligned with people who can support them through their journey so that they don't reoffend and they become um, 
contributing members of the society, you know, instead of just, you know, leaving them going through the vicious circle and in the end just ending up in the criminal system anyway. That's another one way we can work as Christians, reaching out into prison, especially juvenile prison, where children as, as young as 10 years old are actually already in the juvenile system. Those are very young minds that can be molded, can be reached out and molded to even live for Christ. That's one way. Wherever we are as uh, in our own community, there are community, Aboriginal community, uh, communities established all over Australia. How about reaching out and asking, how can we do to help? How can we get involved to support you, to move forward? There are so many areas as children of God, we can reach out and make a difference in our own little spheres of influence. Let's take another one more call. Squeeze one more in. Time's short, but let's hear from Charmaine in Mariba in North Queensland. Hi, Charmaine. Welcome. Hi. Um, I'm not quite sure how to word this, but um, I've been thinking about listening to it. Um, really, the spiritual aspect has to be so addressed because no matter what sort of programs you have in place, even through the church, you know, you can have people living a life that looks all lovely and nice and trauma-free and all that sort of stuff, but without Christ, it doesn't mean anything. And re- the reality is that when people have their spirit touched by the love of Jesus Christ and changed, then it changes from the inside and it, it, it changes the outside. And I'm speaking from experience of having witnessed in Halls Creek the absolute transformation that took place in Aboriginal people's lives when they really took a hold of who Jesus really was and the absolute transformation in their lives was it was amazing and so I'm just really bringing it back to the you know Jesus is the answer it sounds like a pattern thing but without Jesus everything else is just a band-aid Charmaine you've got your finger on the pulse there that's so so important and let's get a thought from Esther around that spirituality Jesus in the life of people in uh, Aboriginal communities because you've got secularised governments uh, who have no idea, it would appear, about any spirituality. You have our Christian uh, insight into this, but there is spirituality in Aboriginal communities. But Esther, your thoughts for Charmaine? As you said, Charmaine is put on. Jesus is the answer. Jesus can, is the only one that can make a difference. But this can only happen when we reach out to them in love. Not judgment, not condemning, not feeling like I'm here to, to tell you what to do. But reaching out in love and asking God to give us uh, wisdom on how to reach out to them in their own environment, in their own uh, uh, communities because because of what has happened there is a lot of suspicion there is a lot um, a lot of disconnect but Jesus bridges all that the love of Christ bridges all that so my encouragement to all my listeners ask God take time to seek God's face and ask him to guide you wherever you are how can I reach the Aboriginal people? How can I make a difference? And if each of us make, takes time 
to go out and ask God to say to make a difference, we can make a difference to the whole community. Let's start a conversation in our churches. Let's start that conversation going. Let us evangelize, reach out in love, make a difference. I have started making a difference in my own small sphere of influence, and I can see that happening. So I'm encouraging everyone reach out. Charmaine in Mariba, thank you so much for your call. And time has run out for our conversation. And at this point, there might be listeners who are forming a view on the Albanese initiative for a voice to the parliament. And and perhaps there's good thoughts in what we've shared over this past hour about how you might form a Christian view of the voice to the parliament, an open-minded approach that might see the debate as opportunity to change a conversation about Aboriginal communities, changing the conversation uh, that is going to add to that opportunity to uh, create identity for First Nations people, sense of pride in who they are. I've got to say thank you so much, Esther, for taking some time to share your point of view, your perspectives as you're working with Aboriginal communities. I know there's not a specific way that listeners can connect directly to you, so I'll encourage listeners to get a message to me at Vision here and I'll pass on any uh, connections that uh, listeners might have or questions or ways that they might be able to even support the good work that you're doing. But Esther Maghetto, who is a nurse practitioner in mental health, working in Aboriginal communities in regional Western Australia. Esther, thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. Thank you very much. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.